Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, November 29th, 2021. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. I wanted to wish you a happy belated Thanksgiving, and I also wanted to extend that wish to all of our listeners who celebrated, because I realized, you know, we we recorded um, the last episode, our, our big 200th episode, in advance of Thanksgiving, and then, you know, now Thanksgiving has passed, so I, it wasn't really on my mind when we recorded the last episode, but it's a it's one of my favorite holidays. I, I like the fall because of Thanksgiving and, and Halloween, too, but anyway, so happy Thanksgiving. Hope you, I don't you probably didn't do much in the UK. I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we didn't celebrate it, but having lived like 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 you know a lot of years in the states, it is a terrific holiday. So happy belated Thanksgiving to everybody. Excellent. So uh, what's going on right now in the MBA world? I see you know a lot of interview reports coming in on the website. So I assume that people are kind of have wrapped up interviews before Thanksgiving. I mean, maybe there are some after Thanksgiving too, but it seems like that's where we are and we're probably getting into that nail-biting, waiting for round one results phase of things. <laughs> and, and this week, a couple of cool schools are going to deliver, um, including Yale and, and Booth, I think. Wow. So round one results will start rolling out. I can't believe that we're <laughs> that we're already there, um, but yeah, that's this is an exciting time. It's also I think it's a difficult time for you know for applicants, right? You're kind of um, I, I feel like it's easier when you know you're working on the applications, you have all this stress about getting them in, and then you know then there's that lull where you wait for the interview. That's really challenging. Then you get the interview and you can really focus yourself on working to prepare. But now it's sort of like there's nothing left to do unless you want to start working on round two applications, which, you know, that's a whole other whole other story. Um, but yeah, we'll see. It's, uh, yeah. Do you have any advice for people? What do you do when you're, you know, because I know candidates are often in such a panic that they're like, oh, is there anything I could add to my file or should I do things to reach out to the committee and, and help tip the scales? Like, what's your advice here? Sit on your hands. <laughs> Wait and enjoy the news. Um, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, if, if you don't get the admit for the school that you, you're really seeking out, you will, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll find your pathway, right? And several of folks will get several admits and they'll have to then start deciding where, where, where to go. So it's, it's a really cool, I, I think it's a great time of year, starting to see that good news coming out. And, and there is still plenty of time to adjust your strategy for round two. Um, because the learning curve of sort of getting the apps together for round two, you've already done a lot of that work in round one. So you should be able to deliver in a reasonably tight turnaround if you do need to readjust your strategy based on what you, you experience over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, agreed. Um, so yeah, so sit on your hands, hang in there, <laughs> and just stay tuned to us. We'll try to guide you through. Uh, over on clearadmit.com, we've been running a ton of content. Uh, we ran a couple of real humans, one about UNC Keenan Flagler, and the other about HEC, a uh, program outside of Paris here, um, where I live. Uh, and we also ran some employment reports and class profiles. So I'll start with the employment report that we ran, which was a, a Ross, a Michigan Ross employment report. And I wanted to share some facts and figures and get your take, Alex. So um, first off, they kind of broke a record, I guess, more than 96% of their class had accepted 
job offers within three months of graduation. So that's not meaning, you know, they, not only did they have offers, but everyone was kind of buttoned up um, within three months. The median base salary is $144,000 a year for the graduating class. And then we've got um, 35% of them going into consulting, 25% into tech, 16% finance, 8% consumer packaged goods. So that's kind of the industry breakdown. And then finally, I'll give you the regional breakdown. 29% of the graduating class landed in the Midwest, 29% in the West, and 21% in the Northeast. Um, there were others who went elsewhere, but those were the big chunks of, of folks. So Alex, any thoughts on this? I say kudos to Ross. Yeah. They are definitely a, a very good MBA program sitting in that sort of um, cohort of of, of, of tier of sort of in that top 16, sort of top 10 to top 16. I mean, these stats are, are absolutely wonderful. I'm quite interested in that geographic breakdown, Graham, because they sort of tend, tend to sort of separate themselves from some, some of the other top schools that probably are in maybe more, more you know, regions where there's just more industry and so on and so forth. So if you're in the Northeast, you're going to graduate, let's say, 60, 70% of your students into the Northeast, whereas Ross is able to get a pretty nice spread from the Midwest to the West Coast to, to the Northeast. So kudos to them. Yeah, I was particularly impressed with that West Coast stat. Um, remember, they have, a, I believe, a campus in LA for sort of executive education and stuff. But still, you know, I, I think we're seeing, we, was it last week we talked about Wharton having like 25% of their class go to California or, or the West Coast. So, you know, they're right there, yeah. um, Ross. And, and they're, yeah, really interesting. Um, I think it's, it's, yeah, as you said, a testament to the sort of diversity of placements. Like, I think it's great for them to be able to send people to sort of all corners of the US. So pretty cool. Cool. Uh, the other thing is we have these class profiles, and I'll just share the fun, you know, kind of counting stats. But we ran a class profile for Owen Vanderbilt because they just published, I guess, all those facts and figures. And so the GPA average for Vanderbilt was 3.3, GMAT score average 690, GRE 315. 25% of the class at Owen is international, and 37% of the class is female. Um, and then, you know, we did the same thing for Georgetown's McDonough program, and I'll throw these numbers out and then we can kind of talk about the two um, in contrast, but Georgetown had a GPA of 3.4, GMAT score 705, GRE 318, 37% um, international, and 32% women. So I, I don't I don't know if you if any of that sort of strikes you. I, I was kind of struck by the fact that Owen has quite a good number of women in their class, 37%. Um, you know, that's actually better than Georgetown at 32%. So I was trying to think about why that might be. Um, and then obviously Georgetown kind of trumps them in the kind of international students category where Georgetown has 37% and Owen has 25%. But just kind of interesting facts and figures for these two schools that are, you know, sort of top 20, 25 type programs, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say certainly on the counting stats side, this is a clear illustration that Georgetown is in a, a higher tier, actually, than Vanderbilt. Yes. Probably by one tier. So you, yeah. Georgetown, you're kind of looking into that from, from top 16 to 20, 21, mm -hmm. and then Vanderbilt will be from that top 21 to maybe 25 in, in that sort of tier. Yeah. And that's quite clear here, and that's why I like this sort of tiered approach um, 
you do see this sort of little bit of a step up or step down as you move from one tier to the next. In terms of the international student um, class makeup, that doesn't surprise me at all, given their geographic locations. Georgetown being in a, you know, Washington, D.C., it's going to be more more of a sort of cosmopolitan international sort of center um, than, than Vanderbilt. So that doesn't surprise me. The, the, the female count, um, yeah, that, that's a little bit interesting, I think. Um, and maybe um, Owen is doing some interesting things in terms of recruiting yeah. um, and that, that, that population. Um, but, but yeah, overall, Graham, those stats don't surprise me at all. Yeah, I think they're, you know, it's also just nice to see that, you know, there is a range of, you know, um, and I think we often talk about, uh, you know, the the Harvards and Stanfords of the world. And, you know, all of these schools that we discuss on this program are, are pretty stellar. Yeah. Um, but it's nice that there's kind of a range of, you know, average GPA and, and GMAT and stuff. So, um, yeah, there are a lot of great programs out there. The U.S. is fortunate to have so many. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with you. D.C. is kind of a cosmopolitan international um, place. Um, and I don't, yeah, I'd be curious to see what Owen's doing because they're doing something right with, with their percentage of women. So they're attracting a lot. So interesting. Um, um, the last thing I wanted to mention, Alex, is that we did run a admissions director Q&A with Eddie Aspie, who's the um, director of admissions over at Cornell's uh, Johnson School. So um, that's up on the website. It's a written thing, not an audio thing, um, although I, I'm hoping to get him on the show soon. And yeah, that's about it. I mean, that's kind of what's going on on the website. Uh, lots, I mean, this is a big time of year, you know, where we're just running lots of content, always, always the same stuff this time of year, but lots of fun to see all these facts and figures. Um, I did want to mention, we have some good guests lined up. I've lined up some interviews for the podcast. I'm going to sit down with Bruce Delmonico over at EL School of Management. As I said, I'm going to try to get Eddie on the show. Um, I think I'm going to talk with admissions directors at NYU, UCLA. So lots will be happening in the coming weeks, um, and into the new year. So stay tuned for that. And then Alex, did you want to talk about Clubhouse? Because we did get an email the other day from a listener who was kind of like, hey, what happened? You know, you guys said you were taking a few weeks off of Clubhouse, but it's been more than that. And so what's the deal? <laughs> yeah, we're going to do Clubhouse this week, I think. Um, yeah. Quite frankly, we did actually schedule it for last week, but it turned out it was Thanksgiving on that day. So we right. decided that's probably not a good um, test case. So yeah, this Thursday, five o'clock um, UK time. So that, that'll be midday in in um in on the east coast and we'll 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 see how it goes hopefully we'll get some of the folks that were very regular participants returning that would be very nice but yeah it'll be very interesting to see and i do think you know this time of year um it'll be also quite interesting to see what the conversation will be because again thursday friday of this week we're going to start hearing from top schools in terms of their round one decision. Yeah. So I think, yeah, if you're listening to the show and you're, you know, have been on Clubhouse before with us or, or feel like giving it a try, come on by noon Eastern this Thursday, December 2nd. And yeah, we can talk all things round one nerves <laughs> or round two prep, whatever. We'll see what people want to talk about. Um, you know, Alex, the last thing I wanted to say before we get into the wiretaps candidates that you've selected is that I would really like, I was thinking about what I want for Christmas, and I was thinking that I would really like to get some reviews of the show in my stocking um, by Christmas time. So if you're listening and you haven't written us a review, um, please do so. Uh, we, you know, Apple Podcasts is where we've sort of amassed the most, uh, the lion's share of our reviews. And so if you can leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, you can also email us at info at clearedmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps and yeah, just ask us whatever you want or say hi, whatever you 
you need to do, we're, we'll, we'll respond. We're pretty good at that. Um, so yeah, keep in touch with us. And we're still open if you want to send us audio messages for us to play back on the show. Um, we'll, we'll do that. So if you have a question, you know, make a voice memo of it and then just email it to us and we'll play it back on the show and, and attempt <laughs> to answer it. Um, but Alex, should we get into the wiretaps? You've got some pretty cool candidates and I would say a little controversy this this week. We'll, we'll kind of get into it, but you want to move on? Yeah, let's move on. All right. Kick on. Yes. <laughs> All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. So this is a, an apply wire entry that we've received. And this person's actually um, not going to be applying until next year because they're looking at uh, deferred enrollment programs. So they're currently a college junior and they're going to apply in their senior year, hope to get into a top school and then defer, you know, obviously for a couple of years while they work, um, but have that seat locked in. Um, they've got eight schools on the target list and they are Berkeley, Carnegie Mellon, Georgetown, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Chicago, and Wharton. So sort of a who's who of, um, you know, all the different uh, uh, deferred enrollment programs out there. Uh, they have kind of indicated they're an entrepreneur. Obviously, they're a current student, but they're you know, pre-MBA career or pre, you know, current college career has been really around entrepreneurship. Um, that's what they're interested in after after um, business school as well. Uh, their GPA as an undergraduate right now is 3.85. Um, they indicate that they'll, you know, that they have some work experience, I guess, via internships and, and outside um, activities, this entrepreneurial pursuits, and they'd like to be in the U.S. They mention in the notes that they're a first-generation Turkish-American that they're double majoring in psych and computer science, and you ready for this, Alex? Double minoring in marketing in Spanish. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never, I, I, it never occurred to me that someone could both double major and double minor. So this person's, um, you know, taking on a lot. <laughs> um, and but, so, but I will yeah. say, Graham, that that combination of computer science, psychology, and marketing is absolute dynamite in yeah. my book. Yeah, agreed. So um, anyway, I'll kind of stop there because they, they list a lot of stuff that they've been doing. Um, but I want you to introduce us to the little bit of controversy in their profile. Um, one is, you know, obviously they haven't taken a test yet. I'll mention that they're aiming for a 330 on the GRE. Um, but Alex, can you walk us through what is their entrepreneurial activity? And, and yeah, just maybe take us through the background here. Yeah, I mean, this this is a really interesting candidate, quite frankly, because there's a lot, a lot of positives here. First generation Turkish-American, um, the current college junior with a 385 GPA. They're an athlete. Um, they're a scholarship athlete. Um, I think it's lacrosse. Um, and um, and they've done some, some, some very, very good things. Um, with related to that in in, uh, in terms of a tutoring program and and so on and so forth so so I'd say they you know if, if you look at your, your atypical stereotypical high caliber um, deferred admissions candidate they hit pretty much all the markers and I'm assuming that also then includes a very good test score um, and deferred candidates have to target really good test scores. So yeah. they've got to go for that 330 or whatever. So all that's really good. They're an entrepreneur. Um, they've actually got a business. Sort of their entrepreneurial sort of endeavor is sort of all, all surrounds sort of app development type projects, which makes sense given, again, the, um, 
the the undergraduate career that, that, that they're on and so on and so forth. It's a little bit controversial in this case, um, Graham, um, because right now they're looking for some um, investment from venture capitalists. They're in negotiations for a particular business. They're currently on phase two for a cannabis app. Um, so, so that becomes a little bit of potentially a risky um, scenario because in my mind, um, if this is really what they're doing and, you know, it's, it's, it's important to them and obviously, you know, if you're, you're trying to acquire a million dollars to get your, 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 your startup up and running then clearly it is important to you that it, it is something you're going to need to address in your, 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 in your applications. Um, but would the outcome have or would some of the outcome have a negative bias, like a stigma attached to this particular industry? Um, as we know, and as we talked about before we came on air, Graham, um, you know, in some states in the United States, it is legal. Although, I don't understand that personally, Graham, because I thought at the federal level it's illegal, and if it's illegal at the federal level, the state shouldn't make it legal. So I really don't understand how all that works in terms of my limited understanding of how government works in America. But (laughs) nevertheless, apparently it's legal in several states now. Mm -hmm. So there are these businesses emerging, and because it's probably a high growth in an emerging sort of industry, it has a lot of opportunity. And if this person has identified a market gap and they've got an idea and they've got um, venture capital willing to invest in it, this seems really super interesting for for someone coming directly out of undergrad. Um, so in, in on the one hand, Graham, I could, I could say this has really good upside. But on the other hand, there's that potential risk um, element in terms of the potential bias of an adcom reader saying, you know what, I'm not really into this industry. Um, so maybe they don't, they get a little bit impartial in terms of their review. Mm. I don't know, Greg, this is a quandary, I think. Yeah. You know, um, so I have two questions for you. Um, so first off, not related to the cannabis stuff. Do you have a, I mean, do you have a preference for this person taking the GRE versus the GMAT? Like, it's interesting, they they mentioned they're going to take the GRE, and I was thinking, wow, here's someone, they're in college, they're looking exclusively at deferred enrollment MBA programs. I wonder why they're sitting the GRE as opposed to the GMAT, even though schools, you know, more or less are indifferent, um, although Tepper says they prefer um, the GMAT, they're yeah. the one, one of those schools that says that. But it's just an interesting decision. So I don't know if you have any thought on that real quick. Yeah, the candidate might be hedging, right? Maybe they're also looking at master's programs in other areas. Yeah, it's possible. Um, but it's certainly the adcom might be thinking that. So you make a, a very good point. If they're going all in on deferred programs for the MBA, then signaling that by taking the GMAT probably is a smarter idea. Yeah. So, and then as to the cannabis thing, you know, I'm with you. Like, I, I feel like on the one hand, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, um, they're doing a lot of interesting things. You know, they're raising money. They're, they've built this cannabis app. It's a, they're some kind of a marijuana micro business that they're trying to start. Um, and so I, I get it. It's a burgeoning industry. 
Um, and they can't, it's not like they can not talk about it. I mean, this is a big part of their candidacy. And so they just have to, I think, as you say, kind of go for it and understand that there might be some readers who are kind of like, you know, turn their nose up a little bit. Um, I, I would liken this to, uh, you know, online gambling is a big thing now in America and increasingly, um, I guess, deregulated or, or allowed. Um, and again, I'm not an expert on this subject area, but, you know, you see someone who works in, in that domain or you see someone whose main hobby is playing poker. Um, you know, they're just these, some of these industries, they have a little bit of a stigma attached to them. And, you know, I think it's hard to think of a, of a candidate working in, you know, a marijuana micro business without assuming that that candidate, um, you know, smokes weed themselves. Like it'd sort of be a weird thing if they didn't almost. Right. So it just, you know, it's just one of those things where I think there's going to have to, you know, go for it. Um, and I think, you know, this is the, the attitudes are changing in America, especially because of the legalization. And I couldn't even explain to you the whole federal versus state thing, but I know it's legal in many states. So, but yeah, this is a quandary. But is it legal in many states according to the federal government? That's my question. Yeah. Can the FBI go into those states and disrupt those businesses? I think they can. Yeah. I don't actually know what the deal is there. Um, yeah. I wish we could call upon our producer, Dennis, who might know something about this, but he's <laughs> he's producing this after the fact. So, but yeah, we'll, we'll look into it for next week, but this is definitely an interesting case. Yeah. And I think that, look, on the surface, this candidate seems super smart. They're acing their way through college. They've got, you know, as you said, a killer um, suite of <laughs> majors and minors. And yeah, so I think they're going to be a great candidate. And I think they just have to go all in on the cannabis thing. I guess our most astute listeners may recall last year on April Fool's, we ran a whole <laughs> story about how Berkeley's Haas School of Business had introduced a uh, cannabis major um, in their MBA program, which was actually fake. But, um, but anyway, so maybe the tide will change uh, over time on this, but I, I think they're going to land somewhere. I mean, they have a good list of a good range of schools, even within uh, the deferred enrollment list they gave us. So best of luck to them. Anything else on this one, Alex? No, I mean, I think my whole point here is if this business is, is um, you know, as, as described, i.e. that they're really, you know, they're working hard on it, they're, they're looking to get that, that venture capital investment and so on and so forth, then whether it's a risky strategy to address it or not, they've got to address it. Yeah, I agree. That's the key. Trying to sort of come up with an application that avoids discussing this aspect um, is not going to represent the candidate well at all, I don't think. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think they can go at it from the business side. Um, and yes. I would say, you know, if, if any of these schools ask them, you know, favorite song or favorite movie, stay away from, you know, Dazed and Confused or, or The Grateful Dead, you know, <laughs> in your responses to those those questions. But but no, in all seriousness, I, I think, yeah, I mean, they're working on the computer. It seems like it's an app and there's a tech play, right, in this space. Yeah. So I think if they stick to that, they should be okay. Yeah. Very good. Um, all right. Well, best of luck to them. And thanks for submitting that entry. Uh, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another MBA Apply Wire entry. Um, this candidate, it looks like, is um, starting next fall because I know they've applied to a bunch of schools in round one. And they're the reason they've reached out to us is because they want to potentially add schools in round two. Um, but I'll tell you the, the round one schools that they've listed or the schools that are currently on the target list are Georgetown, Washington Foster, UCLA, USC, uh, UT Austin, and Yale. I believe they're currently working on a Columbia application as well, but that's not for an early decision. It's for the regular round. Um, they have been working in fintech and banking, 
and they do sort of program management in that domain. They would love to pivot and get into consulting, working at places like Bain, BCG, Deloitte, Ernst & Young, McKinsey, or PwC. Their GMAT score is a 740, their GPA is a 3.67, and they've been working for four years, located in Utah. This person mentions they're a uh, Cambodian-American male, and uh, they have somewhat light extracurriculars since graduating from university, although while they were in school, they took a break and did a two-year religious mission in Cambodia. This was between freshman and sophomore year. They have good letters of recommendation. They think they're a decent writer. And I'm going to read something to you, Alex, because this is really the crux of it. Um, they wrote, love the pod, regular listener, keep up the great work. So we always love to get <laughs> feedback like that. But then they said, background, I'm in an interesting situation. I applied to six schools in round one, and those are the ones I read out earlier, um, with the exception of Columbia. And they said they're all ranked 15 to 25, except for Yale, which I considered to be a moonshot. But now I have interviews at all six. <laughs> um, and so they're wondering if they sort of aimed too low and they're kind of now thinking, gosh, you know, what do I do in round two? And so Alex, I'll let you take it from here, but they, you know, they, they have some ideas about schools and, and things they might want to do in round two. Um, but what do you think? I mean, they, they ran the table with interviews. Does that mean they've, you know, necessarily aimed too low or what, what's the deal on this one? It's quite possible, Graham. I mean, 740 GMAT, 367 GPA. So the counting stats, as you refer them, are, are very, very good. Mm -hmm. Um, now, they, they, they targeted these programs, and these are still very good programs, but as we know, they're in the sort of that top 16, or the edge of the top 16 to the top um, 20, with the inclusion of then Yale School of Management, sort of top 10 type program. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, they, they've got interviews across the board. That's very good. So, and let's hope as, as they um, assume that they, they get um, two or three offers, that would be very good. Now, um, the reason why they didn't sort of, let's say, target M7 and then maybe more in that top 16 bracket is because they felt that they w went to a lesser known undergraduate institution and are working for a lesser known um, fintech um, firm. And so I wanted to address that piece of it um, um, to begin with, because not everybody has access to um, Ivy League educations, um, you know, when they're 18, 17, 18, or whatever it is, um, or, or, you know, the more high-profile schools. So some folks and ultimately end up going to the local state school or whatever it might be. The key is how did you make the most of that four-year experience? And in this case, they got a 367 GPA. They went off on a two-year mission. They probably did some other things during that undergraduate experience that are very good. Um, and we also know that if, you're go, if you are graduating from a, a lesser-known institution, the recruiting out of that institution is you have much less access to the brand-name firms that the Ivy League schools and so on and so forth have access to. So, you know, ultimately they work for a fintech company that they say doesn't have a, a particularly strong um, brand. But the key is... Again, how did you make the most of this opportunity? They say they're going to get strong letters of recommendation. Hopefully their work reflects their impact and they've done very well. 
in that experience. So if that is all correct, and these um, stats of 74367 um, uh, in combination, then yes, I think they've probably undershot their their opportunity here, and they should, you know, hopefully they'll they'll get some offers in 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 round one, but they should be thinking now targeting one or two M seven programs in round two, as well as maybe a couple more in that top sixteen to sort of spread their risk, um, because ultimately they might they might not get admitted to Yale, but they might get admitted to another top sixteen if they included that in the mix in, in round two, right? So, um, so um, yeah, I think they need three or four programs in round two, Graham, and and spread spread that over sort of they they they, they want to apply to Columbia. I, I I love Columbia like everybody else. But Columbia is always a little bit of a squiggle for me because if you don't apply early decision, you're going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage. So I would also include another M7 along with Columbia. Yeah. And then probably Stern because they want to be in New York, it it seems, or or they want to apply to Stern, but also another top 16 on top of that. And then that's good round two strategy. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, Just to go back to something you said, I absolutely agree that, you know, where they went to undergrad given the GPA GMAT one to punch, you know, is, is kind of not relevant at this point. Like they did well in undergrad. Um, they have great test scores. So I, I feel like, yeah, they're, they're good there. I agree with you. They've aimed too low. What I would do if I were them, since Yale's going to release that round one decision later this week, yeah. is I would wait and see what happens with Yale. If they get into Yale, then that's a great way to read the tea leaves and say, okay, um, you know, I've got this great offer from Yale. Now I'll look at, you know, a couple of other schools that are, you know, in the M7 or something, whether it's Columbia. Um, they would need to decide whether they would prefer to be at a place like Stern versus Yale. Sometimes those schools rank very similarly, but they're pretty different experiences in terms of location and and culture too. So they need to figure that stuff out. But I would say hopefully they get an offer from Yale. Um, which, you know, then they could only look at a very limited number of programs in round two. Whereas if they don't get into Yale, I think you're suggesting that they, you know, still look at at least an M7 or two and then some other top 16 makes sense. Because, yeah, I feel like the other schools on their list, for the most part, um, that they could they could go to a higher ranked program, um, and so I think they need to see they, they owe it to themselves to get some other apps in in the second round, and yeah, I'm wishing them the best of luck. I was wondering, like, since they want to do consulting, um, it, I mean, the names that jumped out at me right away, other than you know Columbia, which is already on their list, were you know Kellogg, Wharton. When I think of top schools, um, you know that that are sort of maybe within their range, um, those are the ones that jumped out at me. Um, so I, you know, again, I don't know what they, where they want to be. They, they didn't specify about like a location preference, you know, urban versus rural or where they want to land long-term other than I think they just said in the U S right. So, um, I can go back and look, but yeah, they're, they're not, they didn't specify where they want to land. So that would play a role in this certainly. Yeah. And Tuck and Darden too, right. That focus on, um, consulting. So in, in a more sort of rural environment, but yeah, I mean, Essentially, it, it, it's great news so far. Lots of interview invites. Let's hope that that, that does turn into two, two or three or four offers. Fantastic. But I would be working on a round two strategy. Agreed.
Yeah. And I will say, you know, just the, this person, the writing and the comments they left, like the, there's something about the way that they put up their post and interacted with you and stuff that suggests to me that they probably um, did a nice job executing in their, in their files and yeah. maybe you're a good interview as well. So I think they're going to get some good news and they can then trade up and, and see how things go in round two. So um, thanks to that person for being a regular listener and for their encouragement about the podcast. Um, let's move on though and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. I'm surprised you didn't ask ask that person to write as a review, Graham. Oh yeah. <laughs> all right. So all right. So yeah. Please write us a review. There you go. Maybe they already have. Who knows? <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. So this one is an apply wire entry as well. Again, starting next fall, this person's got four schools on the target list, and they are Cornell, Harvard, Kellogg, and Stern. Um, they've been working in product management, and they want to get into tech. Let's see, they've got Apple, Google, and Microsoft as some of their targets post-MBA. They've taken the GRE, and they've scored 322. Their GPA is a 3.4. They've been working for five and a half years, and um, this uh, is a female candidate, so it's a, a woman in Canada. Um, she's Asian and Canadian, um, 28 years old, and undergrad was a business degree. Just so that, and the reason that's important is because she mentions that she's really interested in one-year programs like Kellogg or NYU Tech or Cornell Tech, since she's already um, a PMM. And I always forget is that product. <laughs> Do you remember what that stands for? I was a product manager in in the tech space, or. Yeah, I think it's marketing manager. Product marketing manager, yeah. Um, but she's looking to transition into product management, um, it looks like. Um, and so she's throwing HBS on the list, the two-year you know, regular MBA program, uh, just in case. So that's kind of her background. Um, you asked her some questions, and so did I um, on the site, and she responded with a lot more detail. But let's get into it. What do you make of this candidate? 322, 3-4, coming out of Canada, it looks like, and you know, product management background. Um, yeah, what, what's your take on her? I think it's quite evident, Graham, that this is a superstar worker. Mm -hmm. um, she's done very well um, at her her work, and that's clear by what, what she's sort of told us and so on and so forth. I mean, not bragging, but just, you know. Um, my, my sense is this is a superstar worker. She will do very well in a top MBA program and will be um, heavily recruited based off of what she's done. The, the key is, you know, the, the GRE score is a little ho-hum um, and we're, we're not quite sure that she does, um, you know, um, other stuff outside of work. Um, but again, because she's done so well at work, I think we can almost sort of um, forgive her of that. Um, and I, I really do like the substance of her work and her performance and so on and so forth. So in that regard... Um, I think she's a very strong candidate for a lot of programs. Um, now, if she had a higher GRE score, Graham, and I know this is a little bit of a silly thing to say, but let's say she had a 330 instead of a 322, mm -hmm. I'd be like, slam dunk M7, not, no doubt in my mind. Right. Um, but that 322 is going to be a little bit lower than average. And what we always try to articulate on this show or certainly in my perspective is it's always the weakest part of your candidacy that ultimately is the most important because that could be what drags you down a little bit so my and, and the reason why i say this is if this person had the bandwidth to retake the gre 
and really felt that with better preparation she would perform better, um, then it's a no-brainer to me that she should go and retake this GRE. Um, even if, let's say she's applying round two and their January deadlines and she can schedule the retake of the GRE, let's say, in February or something, I would include in the application that I have a, re, uh, I'm planning to retake the GRE a little bit later, just as an FYI, just wanted to make sure you're aware of that. Because I really do like her, her performance at work. I think that'll come across very strongly and, um, and, and so forth. Now, obviously she's decided that she wants to do a one year. I'm not sure that's her best route, but nevertheless, she'll be as attractive at the one year programs as she would be at the top two year programs, Graham. So yeah, um, yeah a lot to like here. Just wish the GRE was a little bit better. Yeah. And I just want to underline, I mean, the reason we're so up on her work experience is that, you know, she mentioned that she has had increasing responsibilities in her role, right? She's the youngest person in the history of the company to be promoted to PMM. Um, she's had originally one one product under her kind of purview um, for, for marketing purposes. And now she has seven products that she's responsible for marketing on. And she also won a top 10% of all employees award. You know, so she's, she's definitely, and she has an offer to return to the company post MBA. So she's sort of a superstar, as you say, we think her current extracurriculars, like you mentioned, are a little bit weaker. I mean, she does some things to promote the advancement of women in management. It's unclear though, like how much time she's really spending on, you know, outside of work. And I, and I feel like some of the works, some of the activities she mentioned were sort of um, like helping to recruit for work or things like that. So I, I want to make sure that, you know, she understands the importance of, you know, just having some diverse interests that are not work necessarily. Because right now I see her as kind of a risk of being a kind of all work and no play makes Jane a dull, you know, person or something, right? So be, you have to be careful of that, mindful and, you know, the need to kind of show these other sides um, to herself. Um, but I, I agree with you, the GRE is a little bit of a sticking point. And I think the problem I have with it is more around, it's the narrative of, you know, if she's looking at top schools like Harvard, um, you know, her 3.4 GPA is below average, right, for Harvard. But presumably it's out of Canada. And if that's the case, then, you know, people know there's less grade inflation in Canada and it could be fine. But then when she checks in with a sort of below average GRE score, at least below average for a place like Harvard, um, then it doesn't, it sort of disrupts that narrative around, oh, well, maybe the undergrad education wasn't as challenging. And so maybe, you know, there's an issue here. So that's all I worry about. And then the only other thing I wanted to push back on was this one year um, focus, because it really limits her in terms of where she can go. Um, you know, obviously there's Cornell Tech, NYU Tech, and Kellogg have these one year offerings. Columbia have the J term, which is a, a little bit shorter than your average MBA program. But, um, I'm just wondering, like, what's the rush? Uh, you know, she, maybe it's because she wants to go back to her company, but it doesn't seem like that's her number one goal. So, and the reason I say that is because if she wants to go work at, um, what were the companies she'd said? It was like sort of um, a who's who of, you know, it was Apple, Google, Microsoft, right? So yeah. if she wants to go back to, one of, to go to one of those places, boy, it would be good to summer with them before going, right? So to, to, to do an internship. And so that's where the two-year programs have a huge edge. And I was actually, I spoke with a recruiter at a top firm the other day for another project I'm doing. And, you know, they were just talking about how, 
you know, gosh, like 90% of the people they hire are people that, you know, interned with them first. So I just am thinking that it might be smart to open just to sort of at least consider the two-year format, unless there's some, you know, personal thing that's preventing her from being able to do two years or whatever. But because she could land at a Harvard or, or, or Wharton or an MIT or, you know, any number of top schools, um, if she gets her ducks in a row, um, and so I, yeah, I'm just not sure limiting to the one year makes sense. And she does have Harvard on the list, but I wonder if she should be looking at more than just one of the two year <laughs> programs that are out there. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree, Graham. Yeah. 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 So yeah. in any event, um, I appreciate her sharing her profile and then giving us all those added details. I think she could be a tremendous candidate. And as you said, she'll make waves in her industry and be, you know, a, a tremendous worker. Like it just seems like there's, um, a ton of promise in terms of the, you know, just the promotions she's had yeah. and the, the moves up the chain. So, um, I'm sure it'll all work out, but it would be cool. As you said, if there was a better GRE or if she could sort of schedule to retake, that would be smart. Um, yeah. Anything else on this one, Alex? No, I think she's potentially fantastic candidate. I think we've, we talked about three, um, very, very good candidates this week, Graham. Yeah. Appreciate you picking them out as always. Um, I want to remind people to, uh, tell at least one person, you know, about this podcast. Um, the more the merrier, uh, we're always looking for, you know, additional folks to join in and in the fun. Um, but Alex, we'll be back next week with another episode, uh, if you're willing and, uh, yeah, thanks so much for all your help on this as always. Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.